Hey everybody, this is Steve Anderson, animation director and storyboard artist, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, your show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, and music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what is happening in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist, and you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, what an incredible weekend. Uh, I have to tell you, the last four days have been unbelievable. I was down at the Grand Californian uh, uh, doing a, a, a an event and signing my 3D Disneyland books. Yes. Um, I was also at the Bob Baker Marionette Theater uh, Christmas Bazaar, uh, which was being held at the Forest Lawn Museum in Glendale. And I have to tell you, I, that was the first time that I've done that particular event. And uh, it was amazing. There were so many people there and so many folks stopping by and telling me how much they enjoy listening to the Skull Rock podcast. That is awesome. I mean, yeah, it's unbelievable. And then on Sunday, I was at Walt's Barn and the same thing. So a lot of old friends and made a lot of new friends and signed a ton of books. I was there with Don Hahn, who is uh, one of our uh, uh, past guests here on the Skull Rock podcast. And again, people telling me how much they love the Skull Rock podcast. So obviously people are listening to our yakking away here on a weekly (laughs) basis, Al John. They, they love it. And I'm glad you like us. You really do like us. (laughs) Um, I know. I feel like Sally feels you really like like us. us. You really like me. That's it. That's it. Hey, so if you do, please, I, I encourage everybody to help the algorithm gods out, if you will, and give us those uh, five-star reviews and leave us comments. We'd love to read them in an upcoming episode of the show. But Dave, I'm living vicariously through you because, you know, you're having such a busy week and meeting all these great Disney filmmakers and people just doing your events and meeting our fans face-to-face. So that's amazing. It really is. You know, it's really wonderful to to hear from people and have them just, you know, literally randomly come up and say, oh my gosh, you know, I listened to the Skull Rock podcast. I've read your books and this and that. It, it's so gratifying to, you know, see and hear uh, from people uh, about uh, the show and what we're doing here. And honestly, I, I, I couldn't be happier, Al John, because I, I think we're, we're enjoying ourselves and we're bringing some joy to other people. I love it. It's not work. It's it's just fun. Anytime you and I get together, it's some of my favorite times of the week, and uh, it's great to share it with our audience out there and uh, just keep it going. I think we've got an amazing year planned for, for next year, and we had an amazing year this year. And it really I, have. Yeah, 
I have to thank all of our listeners and our show supporters for that. So thank you so much. And, and all of our great guests that we've had on the show. I mean, yep. it's just mm-hmm. been uh, one one fantastic person after another. And, and I have to tell you, I I, I do want to give a shout out to one, actually a couple of our previous guests uh, mm-hmm. and future guests. Uh, you know, we had Ethan Reed, the Imagineer, uh, on. And, you know, he wrote a book, Walt Disney's Santa stops at Disneyland. It's a little golden book. Uh, he sent me a copy of this and I really would encourage people, you know, Christmas is a week away. And, uh, I would say, uh, you know, check out this book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's a little golden book. Uh, it's published by Disney. Uh, it's Walt Disney's, uh, Santa stops at Disneyland by Ethan Reed. I love it. Uh, so check that book out. Um, I also want to give a shout out cause we're doing part two of the Nancy Beeman interview today, part right. two. And I want to give a shout out again to her wonderful book, how I finally got to live a cat's life, a cartoon diary, 2020 to 2021. This is by Nancy Beeman, and it is a byproduct of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very, very funny. Uh, if you like cartoons and cartoonists and cats, uh, this <laughs> how I finally got to live a cat's life. Uh, we're going to put a link again in the show notes for that one. And then we have a terrific guest coming up um in january uh we have didier gaz the author of the origins of walt disney's true life adventures uh and he's gonna be talking about this book but i want to give a shout out because you know again it's a week before the holidays you still could order this book if you want to it's available through amazon uh and it's the origins of walt disney's true life adventures uh so if you're a fan of the true life adventure films you're gonna love this book it's packed with a lot of behind the scenes material of how those true life adventures got to be where they they are awesome uh so i wanted to give that uh plug to those uh authors um and we have a great show i mean we have a, we have part two of the nancy beeman interview and uh a lot of stuff to get to here absolutely so uh go ahead and check out our show notes and we'll have links to those uh episodes where you can check all that stuff out and looking forward to the books as well yep and and I want to I want to make one more uh, uh, comment. I want to shout out to all of our Jewish listeners. Happy Hanukkah! <laughs> Happy because Hanukkah. Uh, because this show is dropping on the uh, first night of Hanukkah. It's wild that Hanukkah and Christmas are so closely aligned, you know? I know. It's, it's, it really is. So it is happy Hanukkah to everybody out there who celebrates Hanukkah, the uh, eight crazy nights, yep. uh, lighting the candles and the whole nine yards. That's right. So, uh, And that's going to slide us right into Christmas. I love it. Yeah, get those uh, menorahs I mean, out. Yeah, get the menorah out. Let's let's have fun. And thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, like I said, um, Dave said, Nancy Beeman is coming up here. She's in the break room talking part two of her amazing uh, journey of art. And uh, can't wait for that. But now we have some pretty awesome... See, what do we have here? Oh, we what we have here is an awesome stinger because it's what we've been watching this week and dave i know it's been busy for you but have you gotten a chance to see anything on the on the tube or in the theater this week yeah i you know something um i watched uh light year 
uh, on Disney Plus because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that. Yep. Uh, so I, I wanted to watch that. I'm trying to watch all of the uh, animated feature films leading into the Academy Award nomination period right. and voting and all of that. Uh, so I watched Lightyear and I was like, eh, you know, yeah. I could see why it didn't do as well as it should have. Um, I didn't think it was that great of a Pixar movie. Uh, it was okay. Yep. And, That's all. And, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, you know, it's funny when a movie's really, really good. The studio doubles down on promoting the film and yes. word of mouth. I don't know if you utilize Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, cinema blend or whatever, you know, whatever you, 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 you read in the trades, um, affects how you, you view a movie, but um, word of mouth is very powerful for me because all my friends watch movies and all of yeah. your friends watch movies and are movie makers. So um, there just wasn't a whole lot for this film. I don't and, know. and you know something? This was another movie where there really was not a lot of buzz on it. No. You know, no pun intended, but I mean, there really was not a lot of buzz for uh, Lightyear. Uh, and uh, I could see why after watching it. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't a great movie. Um, I I did watch Spirited uh, with Will Farrell and Ryan Reynolds uh, and their uh, sort of musical take on uh, A Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Uh, That was on Apple+. Uh, I went into that, um, I guess, with kind of low expectations uh-huh. and i was pleasantly surprised oh good it, it, it's really well done and the chemistry between will farrell and ryan reynolds you know they're both very likable and it's a, a really fun uh holiday movie and it's really one of those movies i think is going to gain traction in the years to, years ahead mm-hmm. you know similar to elf and some of the other christmas movies home alone and stuff you know i can imagine 10 20 years from now uh watching spirited uh, as part of the holiday season. Nice. Yeah, so that was really good. I did watch two seasons. I binge-watched this, uh, Al John, of a show called Pennyworth. Yeah. And you're going to like this. I mean, you may know about it, but it, it's Alfred Pennyworth, and he meets Thomas Wayne. <laughs> right. You get the Batman connection going on here. I do. Uh, yeah. And uh, this was a really a terrific series. Nice. Um, you know, it's uh, two seasons uh, on Prime and they're fantastic. It's really great. There's, there's sort of this retro Gotham kind of quality to it uh, that has, uh, you know, the film is taking place in London. It's like post-World War II, but then there's some sort of you know, internal struggle going on within England uh, between different political factions. Uh, Really well done. Uh, Really enjoyed it. I would tell anybody, check out Pennyworth on Prime. And of course, I'm continuing to watch Tulsa King on Paramount Plus and Rogue Heroes on uh, Epic or Epic or whatever you want to call them. Um, So that's what I've been watching. What about you, Al John? What have you been watching? Uh, not a whole lot, really. You know, uh, we went to the season, uh, the mid-season finale of Criminal Minds Evolution on Paramount, which okay. is great. Good to see the band back together again. And then the Beauty and the Beast 30th anniversary celebration. And that was yeah. on every Hulu, Disney Plus, ABC. And uh, it's great if you watch it on Hulu because they actually take the musical segments and 
you know, separate them out as their own little performance video so you can see clips of it. But um, it was good, Dave. I mean, I feel awesome. like they've learned a lot since the Little Mermaid celebration that they put out a couple years back. Uh-huh. And I was floored um, between how they got the live action tribute sequences to work um, and melded it in with the animation and the storytelling. I, 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 I liked it so much I saw it twice, once with Kristen, and then we watched it with the kids because they love Beauty and the Beast. Oh, fantastic. And they were like, they, they felt the same way. It was great. It was rather seamless. I thought the the tribute, they did a, a spoiler here, okay, spoiler here, but they did a tribute to Angela Lansbury with Shania Twain uh, oh, playing nice. Mrs. Potts. And uh, she... She did so well, and I thought that her as Belle, I thought she was really good, and I know her because um, of her work being a, an awesome musician and guitarist, uh, you know, in, in that kind of rock-pop genre, but she she did a great job. Martin Short, um, I can't tell you enough about Martin Short. He's just so good. He's hilarious. He's so good. And yeah. Josh Groban is the Beast, um, David Ellen Greer is Cogsworth. Uh, they even had little cameos from Paige O'Hare, uh, O'Hara as well. Wow. Uh, and uh, Richard White um, Baker was in there too as a little cameo. So I, I feel like they did a really good job of kind of pulling it together and the choreography um, by uh, Juliana Huff's brother. Oh, I forgot his name already. But um, he did great. The the rose the the rose was kind of done in an interpretive dance, and they did overhead cameras of the the leaves falling from the rose, the petals falling, and it was mesmerizing. Which were dancers, right? They were all dancers, and yeah. I was mesmerized by that. Yeah. It was just awesome, amazing. So I'm gushing about it because I thought it was really good. And I'm going to have to check it out. Time well spent. So so it's hard yeah, to believe thirty years. Wow, I know, and uh, you know, I know we're going to be. Uh, doing some shows we, we meant to say this earlier in the show but you know the next couple of weeks we're going to spend time with our families so we're going to play some best of shows in that time and i think you know uh don hahn uh, talking about beauty and the beast would be an amazing one to put on there yeah uh, we should drop that next week in light of that yeah absolutely yeah so um that's all it's we've hard been- to be- it's hard to believe al john we're gonna have two weeks off <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, really we're gonna have two weeks off from this gig i love it you know, you know it's great yeah, though you we, know we, we, we we've got vault shows running uh on december 26th and then on january 2nd we deserve and then it after that we're back in we're back in the seats again uh bringing you new shows for 2023 it's gonna be awesome looking forward to it for sure and uh, once again what have you been watching? Let us know. Send us an email and we'll consider it. Maybe put it on our, our watch list for next week's or upcoming week's episodes. There you go. <laughs> oh, yes, of course, because, you know, we're going to be off vacation. Skull Rock Podcast. Ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Well, Avatar 2 tops Friday with a $53 million haul. And it looks like they're about ready to hit the 130 to 150 million mark in the U.S. opening for this weekend. Uh, Dave, is it everything you hoped it would be? You know, I actually was going to see it yesterday. Yeah. And uh, put it off until later this week. Gotcha. So I'm going to have to talk about it when we get back from our break. 
but I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's getting some good buzz. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that it's going to open to like a $450, $500 million uh, 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 opening weekend globally. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I, I know that they Disney can uh, had to kind of readjust its forecast for the film. Uh-huh. So, you know, hey, it, it looks like it may be on track. And uh, that's that's great for Disney. It appears that cinema score and uh, audience scores for this film are relatively high. They received an A on cinema score. So once again, it goes back to what I was saying. Uh, maybe the reviews and the word of mouth is very positive for this film. And I would say good, good. I, I, I want people to enjoy the movie and go to the movies and support filmmaking. You know? Yes, absolutely. And you know something? Uh, I, it, as far as I can tell, uh, it is probably just going to be visually stunning, if nothing else. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, all the more reason to go see it. And by the way, I don't say this lightly. I am actually probably going to see this in IMAX in 3D. There you go. And I think the last time I saw an IMAX 3D film was when the first Avatar came out. <laughs> hey, so. uh, speaking about Avatar, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a Sigourney Weaver fan, and uh, many would consider Sigourney Weaver one of the top leading ladies in action films because of Alien and Alien. Yeah, but uh, I know I don't have this marked on here, but you know, Jennifer Lawrence kind of went under a lot of scrutiny on social media because she misspoke, saying that she was like the first lead female um, action star, and I'm just thinking to myself. You know, guys, no, stop. No, she just, wasn't. No, she wasn't. She misspoke. She yeah. misspoke. It was, you know, can you just leave her alone? It? it is unfortunate, you know, but just, you know, back off. <laughs> you know, just back off. Yes, you know, she's not the first. You know, some would say that uh, I, I do agree that Sigourney Weaver is probably the most recognizable first leading lady in terms of action movies. And you could say that for, for so many others, you know, as well. But, uh, you know, just just lay off her. You know, you don't have to crucify somebody because they misspoke. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You know, so you know, yeah. and, and, and you are right. Just let it go. You know, hammer them for two seconds and then let it go. Let it go. That's right. <laughs> let it go. Um, something that we won't let go is Encanto. It just keeps on digging its heels in deeper and deeper with a brand new trailer available for you because they are performing at one of our friends' favorite places, the Hollywood Bowl. It's going to be streaming on uh, December 28th on Disney Plus, and they sent us this press release today. Disney revealed their trailer and key art for Encanto at the Hollywood Bowl with a special introduction by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And this is going to have uh, basically one night only original special to stream featuring all the great music and and everything like that, featuring the original cast, which is going to be wonderful. I love it when they're able to present this. And I told Kristen, I said, I'm still waiting for Beauty and the Beast on stage, just like they did Hamilton on Disney Plus, because I love those productions. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're. Gonna, I'm sure there's probably something in the works. Yeah, they, 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 this is the kind of stuff I love. I love to get that. You know, let's get yeah. some concerts and stuff at the Hollywood Bowl. I love that. Um, Dave, because you're such a you know a film a history historian on film, how important is it? 
to have the National Film Registry induct new films every year? You know, I think it's huge. Uh, I, I really do. And, you know, this past week, uh, you know, you had Har- uh, When Harry Met Sally, Iron Man, and, of course, The Little Mermaid uh, has been inducted into uh, the uh, National uh, Film Registry, uh, and uh, along with a bunch of other films, Superfly and uh, Citadel, you know, the Bittershack. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I honestly, I think I think it's really terrific. Uh, you know the the National uh, Film Registry uh, uh, has uh, you know really done a great job in selecting films each year that are going into uh, the registry. Uh, and, you know, I think it's it's just hugely important. It's crazy to think that it's been so long for Iron Man and The Little Mermaid and, and stuff like that. Um, they have, what is it? Uh, they have these uh, 10, like 10 films nominated. Uh, the p- film has to be 10 years old, or I'm sorry, 24, 25 nominations every year, 10 years older or more. They have to be, culturally historically or aesthetically significant another 850 films in the registry that they preserve yep. and that's really cool what a, what a great honor for disney and marvel yeah, cool. yeah i i think it's fantastic you know and you know the little mermaid is a very significant film i mean it was one of the films uh you know i always tell people it was the little mermaid um american tale and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Those three movies really ignited that renaissance of Disney animation, in my mind. You know, even though, you know, um, American Tale is not a Disney film, mm-hmm. it, it, it did ignite the uh, the resurgence of uh, the renaissance of Disney animation uh, that took place in uh, the late 80s and through the 90s. I feel that those three movies are so significant. It made going to see animated films cool again. You know, really as did. an adult, they became date movies. They became date movies. I was just telling Kristen yeah. about the conversation that we've had uh, recently on the show. It's like you didn't feel like you were a creeper going into a theater as an adult. <laughs> you know, I, know. I, mean, I, I think we were we were talking about that with one of the interviews we were we were doing last week. <laughs> I know. It's like you didn't feel like a creep. It's you don't like, you don't feel like a perv going yeah. <laughs> into a movie theater to see see an animated film. Right. Know? Right. Well, speaking of animated films, we have another one here you know i am just enamored with what sony and marvel are doing with across the spider-verse for spider-man the animated feature films and it looks like they've added black panther star and nope star danielle kaluuya uh kaluuya i always uh, trip up saying his name daniel kaluuya a spider punk uh, which is another uh, variant of spider-man uh, across the multiverse into the spider-verse and it's great that he is there um going to be in the next film and i look forward to the next film this next outing uh is going to be out of the animated spider-man the animated spider-man yeah yeah yeah, because that that first you know um spider-man into the spider-verse was absolutely fantastic it was beautifully executed i mean from an animation standpoint it's stunning you know I love it. So this is going to be hitting theaters there June 2nd of 2023, just a few months away. Can you believe it? Just a few months away. And it looks like there's so many different animation styles. Uh, From my understanding, when I was watching this trailer, they had different animation styles and every one of them have a slightly different frame rate. So you can tell the difference that this 
this Spider-Man character came from a particular universe and this other one came from a different universe. So they all stutter and do different things uh, differently as they all combine to uh, have this big spider force, if you will. Yeah, uh, I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. looks great. Um, you know, it seems to me like DC now that they're reformatting the universe with James Gunn and Warner Brothers, more buzz has been on this this property than ever before. I think. I think more people are talking about DC now because of this big shakeup than they ever had, and now there's more drama surrounding Henry Cavill. Uh, he was being brought back to place uh, Superman in an upcoming film, and then literally the next week, James Gunn said, "No." I don't think we're doing that. <laughs> and that makes him exiting the Witcher come into question where, you know, they, we just talked about last month, how Henry Cavill left the Witcher and that um, Hemsworth's uh, Chris Hemsworth brother, uh, I forgot his name. Uh, was going to uh, Liam Hemsworth was going to step into his role as kind of a recasting. And now it looks like now he's not doing Superman. So I guess he's, he might be coming back. Um, it throws everything in flux. It does. But, you know, it's it's really interesting, Al John. My youngest daughter, Marley, uh, who's not really into the superhero stuff, you know, she she's not a, a fan of the superhero movies. Mm-hmm. She, I talked to her the other day, and she said, hey, what do you think of all of this stuff with Henry Cavill and Superman? She, she was like, they just announced he was going to be this, you know, coming back for Superman, and now they're not. And I and you know what I said to her? I said, that's because I said the DC universe has been in an absolute mess for so many years. And they're trying to pull it back together with James Gunn as sort of the Kevin Feige of the DC universe. And uh, and I have to say, you know, this is what you're going to have over the coming months. There's going to be this bit of upheaval. You know, uh, they they said they weren't going to do the the next uh, um, Wonder Woman movie, Wonder Woman three with Patty Jenkins. Yeah, Patty Jenkins. Yeah, yeah, with Patty Jenkins. They said, "Nah, we're not going to do that." Now, you know, they're saying Henry Cavill, you're not coming back. We're going to do super. We're taking Superman in a different direction. So, I I think you have to expect this kind of upheaval uh, when a new person comes in, and what I hope. James Gunn does is that he comes up with a five and 10 year plan of DC movies uh, that are all threads in a bigger overarching story of all of these characters. You know what my hot take is, Dave? Yeah. I think they're all going to come back. Okay. I think they, they probably will be recast, but they're going to come back in a big multiverse story like Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is very similar to what Marvel's doing as well. I mean, both of those comic book uh, companies had their own big kind of reboots in their comic book universes back in yeah. the 80s and 90s, and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to do this uh, Flash film, they're going to release it, and then they're going to reset the entire universe with recasting, but I don't think we're going to see the last of that, but they have to play it on the cool because... You know, you can't get these leaks out. They have to control the leaks. They have to control the writing yeah. staff. They have to control everything. And and apparently, Patty Jenkins, even though she's leaving a project, left on good terms. So there's a yeah. lot of stuff being written by Hollywood scoopers that may be completely unfounded. And I think, you know, it's all a work. We're being worked over. We're all marks, Dave. 
you, you know what? I you, you got to go through this. You know, <laughs> you, you you have to go through this bit of upheaval to get back on track. And so, more power to James Gunn. Uh, you know, I like his films. Uh, I have to say, uh, I'm thrilled that they're trying to straighten out the DC universe because it really has been a mess over the years. I would love for you, Dave, to check out uh, *Brightburn* by by. Oh. But James Gunn, if you haven't seen it, it came out a few years ago, but it's probably my favorite kind of superhero movie that isn't, um, it's kind of like a twist on Superman, but it's Superman gone horribly wrong. Okay. And I'd love for you just to see it, just to, uh, just to, to, to talk about it because it's a wonderful film. So anyway, um, we do have some regrets this week and it's very unfortunate and shining a light on, on issues with mental health and so much more, you know, Steven, uh, boss who was Twitch the world-famous dancer-choreographer and DJ for the Ellen DeGeneres show passes away at the, the age of 40. And um, my wife by and I... Su- by suicide. suicide. I mean, you know, they, they've been very clear. You know, his wife came out and said, you know, he committed suicide. And I think it's important to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, there is... Uh, you know, it's one of these things that uh, a lot of people aren't aware of, but but it's something like every 60 seconds, there's a uh, a guy committing suicide. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, the month of November, uh, you know, shined a spotlight. They call it Movember, uh, where, you know, guys grow mustaches uh, in support of suicide prevention. Uh, and I have to say, you know, this this was so shocking because he he had been on uh, the Ellen DeGeneres show, I think, for nine, nine years or 11 years yeah, or something like for, that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was a shock to so many people. And, uh, you know. This guy ha- has had a beautiful wife and uh, and I think three wonderful children. Yes. And and he just took his life. And, and it's so sad, you know, because he seemed happy. He seemed very happy to most people. They were showing some uh, some social media posts and stuff like that. And and then the next day he's dead. You know, he takes his life. Yeah. You know, um, when this, we were big fans of him on So You Think You Can Dance, and he's been on a lot of Disney specials uh, over the past years or so, and it's just really sad. And you just never know what's going on in people's heads. But what I can tell you is that it makes me look inward and go, you know, if I need help, if I need to talk about it, you know, we need to talk about it. And there are friends that you have out there, and, and don't think you're going through any of these situations alone. All you have to do is just reach out. But you've got to be able to to just reach out. And if you see friends uh, going into a dark place, reach out to them and show some empathy. It doesn't take anything to to show empathy. Especially this time of year, you know, <laughs> this time of year can be very lonely for people, you know, and, and, and you know, look, be, coming out of the pandemic, you know, a lot of people lost touch with friends and stuff like that, more isolated, mm-hmm. you know, and it's important to just reach out, um, you know, check in on, on people that you, you're concerned about and say hi to them, you know, they matter. Yep, 100%. Uh, another Passing another legend, an Emmy Award winning actor on the Rockford Files, Stuart Margolin, passes away at 82. And what a great character actor! He's been on so many different shows like The Rockford Files and uh, The Unit. Um, and I think you, you know, you may not know his name, but he is one of those great character actors that appeared on TV time and time again. You know, I, I when I saw this come across uh, in The Hollywood Reporter. I showed the picture to Nancy 
Because I said, hey, Stuart Margolin died. And she said, who? And then I showed her the picture. She goes, oh, I, I remember him. <laughs> you know, and he, he had been in so many things that when you see his face, you're like, you, you, you automatically remember who he is. Yeah. But you don't really know him by name. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But a great character actor. Great character actor. I mean, you couldn't do a, a TV show in the 80s without casting this gentleman because he literally played on every show. Uh, his resume is huge. And once again, he had a great, you know, great, uh, great career in the industry. So once again, for fans of Stuart, you know, may he rest in peace. But uh, he leaves behind just an incredible wealth of work. You can check it out. He was a busy TV director and songwriter as well. So, and uh, he was in one of my favorite movies there, Death Wish. So then, once again, just awesome. Once there again, you go. Awesome talent. All right. And now it is time for us to uh, move into a different mode. Let's celebrate the holidays with our part two segment with artist Nancy Beeman. Enjoy. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John and all of our listeners, we're back once again for part two of our Nancy Beeman uh, conversation on the Skull Rock Podcast. Nancy, welcome back to the show. The green room has been very kind. I hope the green room was very good to you, Nancy. You know, we, we, we tried to clean it up after some of those some of those guys were in there. Well, I'm very honored. Thank you for asking me back a second time. So, you know, when we when we left off last week, I wanted to ask you and I said your feet are too big for dancing. But it's it's uh, tell me what the exact title is, because I remember the film. I can see the film in my head. The film is on my website and the title is Your Feet's Too Big. Your Feet's Too Big. That's the printable title that Fats Waller used because he actually wrote that song. Yeah. Original title was Your Feet's Too Big for the Bed. Uh, And he recorded it. And due to various copyright, he had all kinds of problems with royalty payments. He sold the rights to the song to three different music publishers. So getting the rights were, were not easy. But you did. And what, how, how did that film come about? And who did you do that film with? Was that your own personal film? Uh, was it, did it start out as a student film? Where, where did that come from? I was interested in directing. And I actually did start directing at Xander's two weeks after I started. But I was never officially given that job. And so I made the film to prove to Jack that I could direct and it was all my own animation. I did have some help on in-betweens for one or two scenes. And Jack let the cameraman, when he wasn't shooting commercials, he would shoot my test. But it's it's all mine. And it didn't, It's if I was doing it again today, I'd tell myself the same thing I tell my students. Don't use copyrighted music. Just get something you can use that's original. But yeah. the song actually inspired me to make the film. So my other two films, personal films, they either have music that I paid for a copyright-free track on, or in the case of the short history of Indians in Canada, that music was written by my father. Okay. He never copyrighted it, so that means it's mine. Got it. And and, and so, uh, but your your feet are too big. 
that was, uh, I mean, you put that out into the festival circuit, didn't you? Well, yes, it played in Zagreb. It played in Chicago. It competed for the Oscars, which mightily surprised Disney. They had Mickey's Christmas Carol in that year. And they said, oh, we didn't know Nancy so, made a film. So so you were you got nominated that year. No, no, that, it was no. different then. Oh, OK. So you were you were in the, the bake off. I, I was in it. the uh, there were so few films then because it was so difficult to make independent films. Right. And short films, there weren't that many being made, or if there were, they weren't getting in there. I did not make it past the first cut, but it's listed. If you look at the films that screened in 1984, it's there. Okay. So they saw it, but it didn't. It didn't get nominated for anything. It did. did it didn't win anything, as far as I know. But it did well in Zagreb. It played on Channel 13 WNET. Yeah. And I have great reviews in Bulgarian. <laughs> I used to wave and go, look at these clippings. And of course you can't read them. <laughs> and it's not something I would do again today, but I just wanted to do a dancing elephant. And I like the music. Yeah. It's a beautiful film if people want to see it. It, it, it. And that's on your website, right? All three films are on my website. My second film, which I should have entered in more festivals is called the other Eden. And that was made at RIT in eight weeks. If each wow. two weeks took two years. Yeah. Other Eden is done entirely in After Effects. It's 100% digital. And it was done from storyboard to final in eight weeks because I had to. I had to get it. I had to get my degree. Wow. It turned out rather well. I had a good teacher and I was really pushing the limits of that software. Yeah. The third film, The Short History of Indians in Canada, was made at Sheridan, not counting my storyboards, which I did over Christmas break. It took about three months. Mm. So the digital tools. I love them. I absolutely hated the cells for your feet's too big. Painting the damn things and sure. having to store them, they were a nuisance. Uh, absolutely. Do you I still know have, they're beautiful. Do you, do you still have those cells or are they all gone to the window? I have a couple of them. But frankly, I thought they were smelly. It was messy. Yeah. And expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, so I, I want to get back to you. You were in Berlin and from Berlin, you went to London, London. to do uh, Five uh, American Tale Five Goes West. So that's yes. the sequel to the first American Tale uh, film. Um, yes. And that was at uh, the Spielberg. Uh, Amblimation. Amblimation. That was it. Which became DreamWorks. But at yeah. the time it was Amblimation. Yeah. And I animated Miss Kitty and I was working originally on Tiger a lot. And I asked for Miss Kitty and she wasn't assigned and no one knew what to do with her. And I said, nice. I'd like to, I'd like to work with her. And I went to Uli Meyer, who was the designer. And I said, you know, can I design a new costume for her for this act where she's a showgirl? He said, do whatever you like. <laughs> Not only is Uli a great designer, he's a great person. I absolutely loved Uli. So all I did was I gave her a big feather on her head and picked her tail off the floor and made it into a bustle. So she's carrying it very high. Yeah. Her dialogue was kind of screwy. So I figured this is someone who isn't paying attention to what she's saying. She isn't paying attention to what she's doing. Yeah. While she's talking to the villain, Cat or Wall, whom I also animated in that very long scene where they're, she's busy smacking him with the feathers, smacking him with her tail, and she's doing it on purpose. And I did the entire sequence where they're in that dressing room. And 
it was uh, probably one of the best acting acting assignments I ever got. And, and how, how long were you on American Tale in London? I was there uh, for about a year and a half. Then I got an offer to direct Bugs Bunny in New York. Mm. And so I decided I'd like that and wound up animating on Blooper Bunny as well as a couple of TV specials. Notably, the infamous Invasion of the Bunny Snatchers, where we had a contest as who could do the worst animation because the characters are possessed by carrots from outer space. And I, I look at that film on YouTube and there are people saying I was terrified of this as a kid. <laughs> so I scared them with what I did to Daffy Duck. <laughs> and, and, and so from, so you, you went from London, you came back to New York, you yes. worked in New York. And then from there, did you come out to Los, Los Angeles? I did, but it was not. Uh, I worked for both for Chuck Jones and also for a obsolete platform in video games called CDI uh -huh. a studio called Phillips sidewalk studio. And they were doing some remarkable things. And I did what we're, we would call the, uh, at the time we were calling them cutscenes. They're now, I, I don't know what they call They're the reward you get when finishing up part of a game. Yeah. And one of the shows is called the crayon factory. It's still is looking good. And we were animating at 10 frames a second. Wow. Well, that was good for 1992 and full screen. And I figured out how to do it. You can do slow animation really easily with that, but the computer is providing the in-betweens. It's dissolving between frames. Yeah. So we didn't do any in-betweens for the fast stuff. And we did a beach boys film with crayon factory. I got to work with Sherry Lewis. I directed her as a voice artist. Very nice. Oh, man. She was one of my heroines when I was a kid. And she was great. And I did the I did direct all these things, and it holds up very well. It's a, it's a nice-looking little funny, very funny little film with a highly subversive script. Basically, it's robots running a crown factory in the red ink. The, pen, the pens are trying to tell them not to make good crayons anymore because we're going to make cheap garbage. And uh, they managed to rebel. So it's kind of a socialist takeover. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun with this. It was a nice little project. And after that, I got a call from Disney. Would you like to go to France and work on Goofy Movie? I said, when do I leave? Because they knew it's, I didn't it, like it, LA. They knew I was the most likely person to want to go overseas. And, and, and Paris has great uh, uh, public transportation. That too. But the main thing is, I enjoyed, I finally got into Disney on uh, staff. I've yes. been working for them for years. As a freelancer. I, I started working for them in 1980, 1982. Yeah. Pro, toy design and storyboards. Sure. This is something that not too many people know about, but they were trying to do a Minnie Mouse show in the 80s in New York. Yeah. Dan Haskett did these incredible boards, but the picture wasn't finished. And uh, the head of the, character merchandise, Harry uh, Gladstone said, Nancy, I'd like you to do some boards for this. That's the first thing I did for them. Then I did toy design. And that's a lot of fun. But you, they caught, contacted you later on and you became a staff player. I became uh, staff on features in 1990. Well, I went to television. That's what, that's where we did goofy movie. The, the goofy movie was done out of Disney television studios, but, Correct. Uh, but that was also done in Paris, right? Yes, it was done in Paris and Australia. 
Right. The Australians at the last yeah. five minutes of the film, the big concert sequence with Powerline, and they saved our bacon. And, and how, how long were you in Paris for? Nearly. Well, we could only spend six months out of a year there for tax purposes. So I was there in 1993 and 1994. Okay. When Goofy Movie wrapped, I was, I was asked to go to features to work on Hercules with John and Ron. John and so you were in Los Angeles for Hercules and then Treasure Planet. Correct. Yes. And that was your last stint in Los Angeles? I got in a terrible automobile crash on December 12th, 1999 and was nearly killed. Oh my gosh. I didn't I'm not, that. I'm not, no, it's not no internet and nobody was really, well, wow. Rooting it about. There was an internet, but it wasn't well known. And this I was, was while you, you were working on Treasure, Treasure Planet? Planet. Wow. Yes. And I was in the hospital for a month and had to learn how to walk again and should not have lived. I was on death watch for the first week. Wow. What and happened? Can you tell us what happened? What I'd was... rather not. Okay. You don't want it. Okay. No, it was no a two car collision. The other person was a hundred percent responsible. Wow. I wasn't even moving at the time and I had to be cut out of the car with the jaws of life. Holy mackerel. And I decided, well, first of all, I would have, I would pass out if I was in a driver's seat ever again. And second, everything else collapsed on my head. Not the studio. The studio was wonderful to me. Disney yeah. was wonderful to me. Sure. But my everything else in my life started to collapse. And I said, I've got to get out of here. Wow. So took, I got to get out of this place. This, this city wants me dead. I, I don't like the place. It doesn't have. You ever been in a place where it doesn't feel right? It just didn't have a vibe for you. I lived in LA for years. I tried my best to like it and I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. I I really don't. Uh, Let me ask you this. After the accident, what did you do? Did you head back to New York? Nope. I was at a job fair and there was uh, a school there and I went, uh, took a teaching job and discovered I liked it. Was that at Savannah Art? It was. Savannah College of Art and Design. Yeah. And you, you moved to Savannah. I did. And one of my first students was Jamal Bradley, who was uh, later became a lead animator at both Disney and DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. And he's now in video games. I had some good students, but uh, let's just say academia. (laughs) My my poor father said, you left Disney to go into academia. It's a snake pit. What's wrong with you? And was it? I said, I didn't leave Disney. I left Los Angeles. Yeah. I'm on very good terms with Disney. I had nothing but praise and thanks to tell them how they treated me after that accident. Sure. They were wonderful to me. In fact, I did two jobs for them while I was in Savannah. And, and, but what, was it a snake pit, uh, academia? In, academia. In I will tell you something about academia, and I will not mention one school. Okay. It seems to be a general principle that the minute you turn it into a business, it's very difficult to keep it artistic. Right. In addition, it has very high number of students. So when John Musker asked me, what's it like teaching? I said, it's just like directing only without the money and your crew is turning over every year. So it really depends on what the emphasis is. And when it's a business, there, there, there's some programs out there where it's it's all about just trying to put 
uh, bodies in seats. Correct. And, it, and, and that's just and something it, you must have heard from other people. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to mention one school because no, I no, we're not going to mention schools all but, over the world. But but it's happening in a lot of programs around the mm-hmm. world where they're just putting bodies into seats regardless yes. of their talent. Well, I just heard from one person that there's also an expectation in some cases, not all, that since everything is digital now, you have instantaneous results. Yeah. It still takes years to learn how to animate. I don't, and it makes it a lot easier. I love digital tools. I mean, I could never have made the short history of Indians in Canada in three months if I wasn't doing it digitally. Yeah, but let's face it. I mean, you know, you can plop anybody down on a computer with some software and they can move something across the screen. It's another thing to actually put personality into that movement and create a believable character. Well, that is true. It just depends on what is needed. There are, for example, when I taught at a university, RIT, there were people learning medical animation. Animation is now no yeah. longer just for cartoon animation or entertainment. Of right. And there were people who were animating red corpuscles going through veins. Well, you don't have to put personality into that. Although Seamus Culhane did a great job with Hemo the Magnificent. <laughs> this is actual medical material. The doctors don't want to see Hemo the Magnificent. Right. So they're just animating corpuscles. Yeah. So animation now is in so many different places. I have I known people who animated accident. You know, my auto accident could have been done that way if that had been a lawsuit. They are animating auto accidents and murders and so on. Sure. It has to be as not no no character acting on that you don't want to influence people that way right so animation now is not restricted to just television and film the way it was when i was at cal arts right there's plenty plenty of avenues to pursue um uh to create animation but But there are also more people pursuing it and that is why the people who only want instantaneous results are going to be disappointed sure if you don't want to work at it if you want to do what everyone else is doing, then anyone who does something that stands out will immediately be hired. And the people who all look alike, well, as long as that's fashionable, perhaps it'll be a good job. But the minute it's no longer fashionable, you are sort of out of luck if you don't have additional skills. Well, you know, I have to tell you, I I do feel that it's very troubling uh, because I have looked at portfolios over the years of of people coming out of some of these programs and and they're third and fourth year students and i'm looking at portfolios that are rudimentary at ba- at, mm-hmm. at best you know and and they're they're getting snowed by these schools because they're just getting shuffled through the through the program and yes you're you're out of your freshman year and come back for your sophomore year and it's all about you know raking their money in and not necessarily not so much that it's a belief that the computer is all you need to know right right that the program is more important than art and i was in one school where they i was teaching all the art classes yeah and that in the animation there was no animation department yeah. And this was seen this was seen as somehow second class. And uh, I had one student who was doing a hand-drawn film. And, and everyone else is expected to do computer for their mm-hmm. senior project. And the chair actually came to me and said, do you think that this student will get a job? I said, they'll be the first one hired. Mm-hmm. And I was right. So 
the art classes are crucial because otherwise you, as you said, you're just moving stuff on. Anyone can move stuff on a screen. Yeah. But if you really want to be a professional animator, I've made a list of all the things you have to know. And I think Walt Disney did it before me, but you have to know something about fine art, commercial art, pop culture, high culture, architecture, history, and zoology, cultural studies, world, uh, world history and music. Very important. The musical background I had was invaluable. But but not only having that general knowledge, but also I've got dance. <laughs> but also understanding the basic principles of animation. You know, I mean, being able to really understand those basic principles of animation is you. No, that's important. that's that's called observation. Yeah. I just wrote a blog post about this principles business. Yeah. And I like Brad Bird's quote the best. He said it better than I could. He said, "You can't create the illusion of life if you don't have one." So you have to go out and look, look at this cat here or look at your friends or draw, draw your, draw the character as if it's your little brother. You got to study, study the world around you. Also work from your own memory because I, well, I had one student at Sheridan and uh, they were in my first class. And I said, here's the secret of Walt Disney. And I'm surprised nobody really seems to have noticed it. But he took a European story called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The dwarfs had no character. He made the little seven men into individual personalities. And they carried the film. And everybody knew the ending, but they still cried. Because there was such a strong relationship between the characters. Now, he took a European story and saw it through an American lens. You could do the same thing with your own culture and your own background. And this one student named Domi Shi did just that. She took the gingerbread man and retold it as a Chinese story called Bao. And when she made it, she said, how would you like the surprise? Because I always say, don't just go to the end. Give us a surprise. Yeah, good surprise. Love the surprise. That is a wonderful picture. Mm. And it's the gingerbread man. If you take a good look at it, she's retelling it, but through a totally different lens. So that's why I could give the same story beat out to 20 different people. And if they thought about it from their own personal experience, they'd never duplicate what the other kids are doing. Mm -hmm. Students, I should say, not kids. Yeah, yeah. The point is I got great stories, great stuff from all three of the schools and some of them had a little more technical facility in expressing it. Yeah. But some of these were just knockouts, little movies that would, should have really been released somewhere. But a lot of these students don't realize the jewelry, the jewels they've got that they made these little gems. What what do you think is, uh, is sort of the state of uh, animation academia today? Uh, I would not be the right person to tell you simply because it's not something I would generalize about. It is yeah. about certain things I've heard or certain things I've seen. Uh, obviously, think, but, look but at what you, a school is turning out and they're doing good films. Somebody's doing something right. But but do you, do you feel like there's too many programs? Do you think that uh, some of the programs aren't 
doing service to the students? I mean, you know, I can't, your... I can't speak in generalities. I can only tell you that any, I, I was saying to kids, the problem with the online courses is that you don't get to interact with anybody. Right. So they're great if you want to expand what you've learned in a classroom, but you do learn as I did from your classmates as much as from your teachers. Sure. So also animation is usually a team sport. Now, during the lockdowns, I talked to a lot of students who were very frightened out of their scaredness and said, you are very fortunate to be animators. You are already working remotely. <laughs> you understand how to work as a team, even if you're not in the same room. And animation's booming. And, and, and you know it. I mean, animation really boomed during the yeah. uh, during the pandemic and the lockdown and everything. Uh, it was one of the few bright spots in the in the film business. It was. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but apparently the animation union was helping pay the medical um, benefits for the live action people during that pandemic. Oh, right? I, I didn't know that. When they could not work. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. That, you better quote, better check on that, but I'm pretty sure that was happening. Yeah. In my case, I try not to speak in huge generalities. I only know my own experience sure. and what I hear. I see wonderful student work coming from all over the world. The fact that there are now programs all over the world and not yeah. just in CalArts and not just in Sheridan. Those are the two big character animation schools when I started. Yeah. The fact that you've now got many more is not a, not a bad thing, right? but I do not pretend to know everything about all of them. I do know that if a student really wants to learn animation, it's never been easier to do. That's right. There's a, there's plenty of places they can turn to now. Let me ask you another question, just to sort of shift off of academia. Do you go see uh, most of the animated fair that's coming out today, the features? I have been going to screenings here because I'm, uh, I'm a, honor, I guess, uh, a member emeritus of Ampus. And also, I uh, believe it or not, got into some of the um, Toronto International Film Festival screenings, courtesy of my credit card. I don't know how that happened. But I got to see the world premiere of Henry Selleck's Wendelin Wild. I'm uh -huh. seeing... And what did you think of it? I thought it was really impressive. Stop motion, it's, right? It's a gorge. I love stop motion. So do I. And Henry was, a. I forgot to mention Henry was in our class, but he yeah. transferred over to the other animation. To, to, the, to the, the Jules Engel. Jules Engel uh, program. What was, what was billed as experimental animation. Well, Jules was the first animation program at CalArts. Right. And the oldest on this continent is Sheridan. And yeah. that program, I say, not just courses, Sheridan's program and CalArts experimental program is about the same age. So Henry already had his undergraduate degree, so he went over to the master's program that Jules Engel was teaching. And I loved what Jules's people were doing. I used to go over all the time and was curious and see what they were doing. But Henry made a film that won a Student Academy Award at Jules's program. And we've stayed in contact, and I'm very impressed with what he's doing. Wendell and Wilde is a gorgeous picture, beautifully animated. Yeah. And... It has a very surprising character, in it, which I will not talk to you about, except that its name is Sparkplug. <laughs> okay, and and, and, yeah. and and I I I believe is that it was that done through Netflix. 
It was done for Netflix and okay. they organized a screening in the world premiere. I am also going to be seeing the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio. Yes. Uh, in I'm, December. I'm looking forward to seeing that as Since well. I don't have, I don't have streaming services. I prefer to see this on a big screen anyway. Sure. Well, and I just saw, uh, well, I just saw the, uh, my father's dragon. Yeah. And, and I was going to say you and I are kindred spirits because Al, as Al John knows, I I'm a big uh, advocate of going to the movie theaters and seeing films on big screens. So. I only do it for the animated pictures and I'm very quite careful. I know the screening rooms. Yeah. This is a very safe room. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm, I can't risk getting sick. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. Uh, but uh, I do go to the movies on a weekly basis and I try to go to IMAX uh, screenings because uh, most of the time the IMAX theaters have like 12 people in them. So well, I can tell you one film that looked fantastic in IMAX is Nope. Yes. And I just realized Jordan Peele did that and Wendelin Wild. Yes. So I'm very interested in his, what he's going to be doing because I'm really impressed with his work now. And uh, I thought that Wendell and Wild, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's really impressive. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna see it. Uh I'm also curious what you think of just the other animated films that are coming out. Uh do They're you in the screening? I, I would see those in the Academy screening room and I haven't seen them yet. Okay. I've been a little busy uh with other stuff, uh yeah. just retiring and getting through a lot of paperwork. So I haven't sure. really been doing it. But I do get to see these films through the Academy screeners. Yeah. And, and and of course, the Academy screening room in New York City. No, it's uh, on my computer. <laughs> oh, the, so you're talking about the Academy screening room, which is the streaming service for streaming the Academy service. for Academy members. Yes, yes, yes. yes I'm okay. not I'm not traveling. Do you, do you try to do you try to watch uh, all of the animated films uh, each year? I watch nearly all of them. Yes. And the shorts. Um, I only get to see the ones that are nominated, unfortunately. Okay. I, I, definitely, last... I definitely get sometimes sneak previews. Yeah. Last year I try, I, I watched, uh, last couple of years I've watched most of the shorts, uh, leading up to the bake off. What did you think of the vast majority of them? Um, I, you know, again, uh, like you said, I can't give you general generalities, but I will say that, you know, when when you do sort of the 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 bake off uh, where you're viewing them to try and kind of cut them, you know, cut down the uh, 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 the number of films to get down to that nomination. Uh, I, I would say there's some stuff in there that's just it's tough to watch. They're too long. Uh, but then there's there there's a lot of gems in there uh, using different techniques and they're just beautifully done. It's funny because now with the digital tools, student films have production values that feature films had 30, Absolutely. 40 years ago. They Absolutely. are better looking than some yeah. of the big features. It's yeah. all a matter, though, of content. That's why I got interested in story and wrote a book on it. Yeah. I was teaching it and there were no books on the kind of story we did at Disney. And so I was giving out so many handouts that a Rochester RIT was getting angry that I was handing out these enormous handouts to my students. There were no textbooks. So right. I wrote, but the main thing is that story is almost always the weak spot in these films. 
Now, there's you, so many gorgeous images and there's no attention paid to constructing a coherent story. Correct. And, and, and you have two, you have, you have three books published, but the two I want to mention here, prepare to board creating story and characters for animated features and shorts, creating story. Uh, yeah. So yes. it's a third edition. And then uh, you've got animated performance, uh, bringing imaginary animal, human, and fantasy characters to life, second edition, uh, which is from Bloomsbury uh, Academic Press. Uh, and I, I, I have to say, uh, you, you've got those books out there. We could put links to those. Uh, they're, on my, what, they're on my website, too. Yeah. And so the question I have for you is, uh, and I want to kind of wrap things up a little bit, but I, I want to find out you've retired from teaching. Now, what's the next chapter for Nancy Beeman? Are you going to are you going to do another film? Are you going to do still cartoons? What are you going to do? Or are you going to just retire and travel? Well, I'm not traveling for the foreseeable future because I'm at high risk and I don't want to get sick. Right. I just put out the book a month ago, uh, how to, how I finally got to live a cat's life. It's only had a month. It's not, you know, <laughs> if you look at how they expect feature films to earn back their negative cost in the first weekend, well, the book isn't like that. Right. And so I didn't really do it to make money. I did it to cheer people, my friends up. And then I figured let's put it out and see what happens. I'm not sure because I have been, well, we've all been dealing with the pandemic. Everything got knocked into a cocked hat during that time. And we were, I was making plans. And sadly, I had a couple of friends die during this time. We were going to work together. Very tragic. And I can't really plan that far ahead. I do know I enjoy drawing the cartoons. But I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to make another animated film. I, I'm going to catch my breath first. Sure. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would say... Uh, you know, you got to give yourself a little time to decompress. Uh, I mean, you know, leaving academia after teaching for so many years, you do need to decompress a little bit and, and kind of let that sink in. Right. Well, I think the pandemic knocked everybody into a cocked hat and so many yeah. of these plans were upended. People reconsidered what they wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I used to love traveling. I'm not so sure I love it now. <laughs> sure. Let's just say I'm not doing it for a while. Yeah, and I don't blame you. It's got to take a little while for it to get back to normal. But I enjoy a lot. There's a lot of other things I'd like to do. But I will never leave cartooning. That's what I do. Yeah. Nobody ever wanted me to do anything else. And I'm discovering people enjoy the writing. And I did not consider myself a particularly good writer. I mean, to me, a writer is someone who paints with words. That's the way I would describe it. Sure. And I don't have that facility. I'm clever, but most animators write well simply because we can describe visuals. It's yeah. a question of, I, I'm not sure. I wouldn't say I would be able to write a daily column. I certainly can't draw a daily comic strip, but something like what I did in the book where I was doing maybe one a week and sometimes three or four a week. Yeah. The fancy took me. That might be preferable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do you have any uh, pearls of wisdom for uh, a Nancy Beeman who might be a senior in high school right now uh, and, and thinking about going into animation? What, what would you what would you tell yourself 
uh, you know, as an 18 year old? Well, I, it's impossible to compare the situation of a modern high school student with what I had. I was extremely lucky to have supportive parents and I was going into a field that was seen to be dying. And I did it because I liked it. So that's what they tell you, follow, do what you like, do what you love. The main thing is it was important to experiment and try other things. But for young people today, my first thing would be to say is try to do less. They're awfully overloaded. I've seen students who were trying to do too much. They're expected to do too much. They're bombarded with images and things that we, we, we had to go out of our way to see films. Now you can't miss them. And I think that there might be a little bit of overproduction. One thing that I recommend anybody interested in animation to do, even if they haven't studied it, is to enter the 24-hour animation contest that Aubrey Mintz runs every year. And it is fabulous. It sort of distills all the animation lessons into one night. You have to create a 30-second film in one night, and you're up against hundreds of other students. And this year, a high school class placed seventh mm. out of a couple of hundred. That is the first time that's ever happened. It's, it's impressive. Wow. So it's a very good learning experience. You find out whether you really want to do this. <laughs> and if you don't, there's still time to do something else. But what I like about animation is it's anything you want it to be. I can play any character. I don't have to, I'm not restricted by my appearance or my age. I can play anything I can draw or make move. If, say, if it's, I don't particularly like digital animation, but I've done it. So I would play, I mean, I played male characters. I played inanimate objects, animals. It's a wonderful thing if you enjoy acting and storytelling. You can do anything that you can imagine. You're not restricted by the laws of gravity or whether you have a set or a location that's available or whether your character is your actor shows up drunk. That doesn't happen with an animated character unless you make them that way. So it's really, I think, a, a marvelous medium. And it certainly has treated you well. Well, it certainly let me meet a lot of interesting people, go a lot of interesting places and work with some of the finest artists I've ever met in my life. And it can also be incredibly grinding and sometimes dull and sometimes and mad and tiresome. And maddening. I wouldn't say maddening. You can sometimes find it tiresome. But the good, the good outweighed the tiresome. And it definitely gave me an opportunity to see the world and learn much more and become a better artist. Well, I think that's a great place for us to stop, Nancy. It was right. so terrific having you on the Skull Rock podcast. And I actually look forward to having you back at some point, uh, maybe in a year or two when things uh, are, when you're decompressed from your retirement. And <laughs> You and sound maybe, like I'm going to be swelling up like a balloon into this room. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm getting the bends. Well, uh, no. It was terrific having you. Thank you so much. And if you want, just link to my website. It's got all the books and films on. It saves time. Yep. We're going to put it all on our show notes. 
Thank you very thank much, you so much, Nancy. Thanks for being here. Okay, thank you, you, Aljon. So good to see you again. Take care. Thank you. Good night. Always great to have Nancy on the show. And uh, what what just a delight, <laughs> you know, just another delight. And cat fan. I love it. You know, again, I, I can't stress enough how I finally got to live a cat's life, a cartoon diary, 2020 to 2021 by Nancy Beeman. We're going to have a link in the show notes for this, but get, get a, get your hands on a copy of this. It's really a um, terrific uh, little book uh, that Nancy did. And I think you'll enjoy it. I love it. Hey Dave, uh, I didn't tell you earlier in the show, but we went to the Nashville, uh, Nashville cat, um, uh, cat rescue yesterday. And we have another addition to our family. We got a little, a little, uh, a little calico cat. Her, she's about a year and a half old. Her name is Sylvie. Wow! And so our family's congratulations. Growing. Yeah, we did a you know every year I do a little fundraiser around my birthday, and it all goes straight to the Nashville Cat Rescue. And and here we are. We just uh, read her story, and you know all the little kittens go, but you know she really needed a home. So so Nancy, we're we're taking home another cat <laughs> just for <laughs> just so you know. So we're we've got four rescued cats and two rescued children. How about that? <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. I love it. Perfect for the holidays. It is perfect for the holidays. We're all going to sit around and around the fire and then listen to the Skull Rock podcast. That's what we're going to do. So uh, (laughs) I hope so. All right, gang. Thank you so much for joining us for this part two interview with Nancy Beeman. Once again, as Dave said, uh, check out the show notes for all those great books and to see how you can get your hands on a copy of it just in time for the holidays. Another thing for you to check out is also our friends at uh, uh, DaveBosser.com. And uh, you need to check out all that stuff and content he's got there, as well as uh, our sponsor, Shore Microphones. And you can also check out the good times there at Old Mill Press, too. Because once again, get those books for the holidays. And uh, even if you if you order now, I think there's an opportunity for you to get in that window for, for holidays. So uh, get that last-minute gift right now there at Old Mill Press. Check it out. In the meantime, don't forget to follow all of our social media links there, too. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram. We're also in every podcast platform as well. You can follow Dave and myself on LinkedIn as well. And send us those emails. We would love to hear from you. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave, you've got the final word. Well, I've got a bunch to say because I have to I have to tell all of our listeners thank you from Al John and I for listening to the podcast throughout the last two years now. You know, yes, let's get the audience going. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's so wonderful to go for me anyway, to go out to these events and have people come up and say, I listened to the podcast and I love it and tell me what their favorite episode was or you know, something that touched them. It's really fantastic and and we really appreciate it and want to say thank you very much for a incredible 2022. We are looking forward to 2023. We have so many interviews already banked uh, that are going to start playing in January. It's going to be absolutely amazing and we really appreciate you listening to the show. I also want to once again say happy Hanukkah to uh, all of our Jewish friends out there. And I also want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everyone. 
because we are going to be taking two weeks off and we're going to be running some vintage shows, including an interview with Don Hahn uh, about Beauty and the Beast uh, for the 30th anniversary that's going on now. And uh, with that, I'm just going to say have a very safe, happy, healthy holiday season. And we are looking forward to seeing you back here on the Skull Rock podcast with a brand new show kicking off the new year on January 9th. So um, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you all. Be safe. Thank you. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.